Welcome to Blog Talk Radio in high fidelity. Good morning. This is attorney Vince Davis. This is Get Your Kids Back Now. This show is dedicated to keeping families together and to fighting the tyranny of CPS and DCFS social workers. A secondary purpose of the show is to educate parents and relatives or to at least show them where to get the necessary information for their fight. The final purpose of the show is to remind the people that change can be effectuated at the ballot box at the state and federal levels. Let us unite, vote, and elect those who will make the necessary changes. Good morning to everyone. Happy New Year. This is the first show of 2018. Um, One of the first things that I want to discuss is a case that I did recently uh, in the juvenile dependency court was was a trial at a six-month review date. And on the witness stand, the social worker, when it was my turn to cross-examine, testified that she had provided and done certain things and provided services to my client, but had not recorded those things in the, what they call the Title 20s, the social worker's diary that they must keep on every case and submit to the federal government to, um, one of the reasons is to get the funding. And so I've been involved in cases where I've gotten the Title 20s um, from the social worker during the case, and we sue the social worker for civil rights violations. The Title 20s that are given to me from the federal government can be substantially different, and they're not supposed to be. But anyway, on several occasions during this cross-examination, the social worker said that uh, she did something but did not report it in the Title 20s. Well, <clears throat> on, redirect, me, on re-cross-examination of the social worker, I asked the social worker if it was true that there was a policy and procedure that if it was not recorded by her in the Title 20s, then we must assume that the event didn't happen. And I recalled that from reading that, I think, in the Los Angeles County Department of Children and Family Services Policies and Procedures Manual, or I I think that's where I read it. But anyway, the social worker said, yes, that's correct. If you don't, their policy is, if if they don't record it in in the Title 20s, then it didn't happen. We have to assume that it didn't happen. So she testified, for example, that she did 10 things on this case but did not record them in the Title 20s. I'm not sure what the judge's basis for making the decision. Actually, that's not correct. She did state a basis. But because of this admission by the social worker, I think that one of of the bases why the judge granted us uh, one of our requests in the case and that was that the chil- the children not be sent to a 366.26 hearing so that the uh, father's rights would be terminated. And one of the big issues of, was whether the social worker gave of my client um, sufficient 
family reunification services. And most of the things that the social worker testified that she did but did not record in her Title 20s was the services or the family reunification services she was was supposed to be given to my client. So one of the things that, you know, you should do on every case, um, especially at these six-month review hearings, is get a copy of all of the Title 20s um, in the case. And in some counties, they're called 1950s, but basically they're the social workers' diaries uh, basically the daily or weekly diaries of everything that happens in your case. Most of the information does not make it to the report, the social worker's report, and therefore does not make it into in front of the judge, and the judge has no idea these things have happened or not happened. So always get the Title 20s. Always review them with your attorney to find out if the social worker is complying with state law and the local policies and procedures that they must follow in servicing your case. So I'm gonna take the first call uh, for this morning. Good morning, you're on with attorney Vince Davis. Did you have a story to tell or a question to ask? Yes, uh, my name is Arlene Sahai and I'm your client and you are a godsend. Thank God for you. Tell me. A question. Well, thank you. What question? Tell Pardon me a question that you that I mean. Tell me, Vince. Tell me what you want me to. I mean, tell, ask me a question because I don't know where to begin. This is case is so huge. Okay, let's just talk about your juvenile dependency case. Why don't you tell the listeners? A short version well, you know what? Of what you know what? I'm going. I'm going to go on what you just said about the social worker reporting. What is it? The Title Twenty thing? Yes. yes. I can say for a fact that I have asked several times because I know uh, we were we had monitored visits, fully monitored visits the entire time. And they were supposed to be taking notes and whatnot. And I've asked several times to see those notes and uh, was just flat out denied. Well, I can tell you that they are not supposed to deny you and that you will, you should get copies of those notes and diaries. Now, for the listeners, we represented Arlene um, in the juvenile dependency case. She got all her children back and the case was closed and we are now pursuing a civil rights lawsuit against the social workers and against uh, the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department for what they did in Arlene's uh, story where she lost her children. Um, Why don't you, Arlene, share with the audience one of the one or two most egregious things that the social workers did or didn't do in your case? Okay, so from the beginning, the social worker that uh, um, that signed the, the in-field assessment, which is something they have to do before um, taking the children, uh, it's a, it's a, it's a supposed to be some kind of special tests where they come out and they do a field assessment and they check to see if there's someone to take the children and all this kind of stuff. Uh, the first 
egregious thing is that that social worker was never there. So it was a different person, and uh, we we did not know her name or who she was. And we didn't actually meet the real social worker until uh, the fifth day after they they had her, her children. And we did, we had no idea where they were. Um, no one um, informed us as to where they were, where they went. Um, of course, when they took them, they didn't have a reason. We didn't know why they, they took them. Uh, when we asked why, you know, later on, when we ended up finding what court it was, because we didn't even know where, what the, where the court was. Um, and then we found out it was... Um, uh, incapacitation, uh, something to do with incapacity, because we were both arrested. So, um, but I remember the two uh, social workers showing up and uh, just uh, being pulled aside by the police officer who had called them. And then they just went straight into her home and they didn't come out. For, I mean, that one social worker came up to the police car that I was in, but before she could say anything, the officer came and pulled her away again. So she threw a card into the car, and it fell on the floor. Of course, I couldn't pick it up because I was in handcuffs, and it said a different name. Of course, I'm assuming that the card belonged to her. It didn't. It belonged to the social worker that wrote up the, um, I forgot what it's called. It's uh, it's where they make the decision to actually take the children. So she was actually never present. And she said it several times. When I first met her, I was shocked. I said, wow, you are for me. You look nothing like this. No, I was not there. I did not take your children. I said, but you are on all the paperwork. She said, I know, but I never signed it. So I was very confused. Of course, we were confused. We've never been in this situation before. And uh, as far as what you said earlier about the... um, the, the is it what did you call it the social worker diary you called it title something i think this is extremely critical because i've never heard that before so when i wrote and i have to say to anybody who's listening who's a victim or survivor i'd rather go with survivor because i refuse to be a victim of these people uh if they're listening, I would say, document, document, document everything. Use your phone. Use whatever you have to do. Document. First thing you should ever do is get get an attorney if you can. The best attorney. Get Vincent W. Davis. <laughs> You'll find the money somehow. But it's it's not worth for us, it was a year and a half, and it was, we fought and fought and fought, and uh, I, I had a little bit of resources, um, and that helped. Um, and then we had some advocates on our side. 
But if you can get an attorney just the first, the, the minute it happens, I would say get an attorney. Get the best attorney. San Gabriel Valley, it's hands down. Vincent W. Davis. I would say in San Diego would be Sean. I don't know where else I would look for an attorney. But get an attorney first. Well, uh, because uh, none sharing. of this stuff we didn't know. Arlene, thank you for sharing that with us. I, I appreciate the plugs, um, and thank you for calling. Well, let me say something else. You know, because I haven't said thank you for all the things you've done. You know, I want people to know that after you've been beaten and battered, intimidated and alienated and humiliated and annihilated and invalidated, when you walk into the office of Vincent W. Davis, you actually, you, it's, it's hard to believe that there's somebody on your side. It's hard to believe somebody is actually trusting you, validating your story, is listening to you, and hearing what you have to say. So this is, this is what, this is why, and no one told us this. This is what an attorney means, a real advocate, a real counselor. You know, this is what you get, and it's, it's completely worth it. It's worth mortgaging your house and selling everything you have, you know? Uh, and that's my main thing, apart from documenting every single thing, because you can't trust anyone in that organization. No social worker, no one, no supervisor, no one. So a whole year of being betrayed. Betrayal is the word. And then you come into an excellent advocate like you, and for even a moment you get a forfeit. So that's what people need to know. Because you know when you just say, get an attorney, it's very generic, it's very cliched. People don't understand what that actually means when it comes to CPS. It is really the only way to fight with them fairly because it's not a fair fight. So that's what I want to say. And thank you. Well, thank you, Arlene. Thank you very much for calling in. Happy New Year to you, too. Okay, then. We're going to take another call from area code 760, ending in 75. Good morning, you're on with Attorney Vince Davis. <clears throat> we don't use names. Did you want to share a story or ask a question? Both. Go for it. Um, well, I took my son to the hospital for constipation problems. The first night I was at home with him, and then we had to go back the next day because it got worse. They found, they had taken x-rays the second day, found four fractures on his wrist. They asked what could have caused it. I told him he, I told the hospital that he was a preemie. He had a seven and a half hour surgery after he was born, and he was in the NICU for a month and a half. They called CPS. They came, and the doctor working told them, 
that the fractures found did not look like it was abuse. They took my son anyways, along with my two daughters. We went to court and they took my son to another hospital for further examination. And they found a total of 13 rib fractures, two identical skull fractures. They took my daughters to um, the, the CAC center um, for full examination and uh, a psych exam. My daughters had passed. So they granted me visitation of my daughters, but not my son. They're saying it's temperamental that I see my son, but they're letting me see my daughters. I did my parenting classes. I went on the Steve Wilco show, took four lie detector tests, and they still will not return my son. They are planning on terminating my rights in April. The last time I've seen my son was April 18th and of last year, and they are trying to make do their very best to adopt him out to a non-family member. So I'm kind of confused on what to do next because they are letting me see my daughters. Um, my daughter's case was closed with a family plan, but my son, they're trying to terminate my rights. Okay, so you're calling in, you're kind of, have progressed in the case. I I really want to know um, what happened at the initial trial. Did you have a trial to prove your innocence, or was was did your attorney plead no contest? Like what happened? My I didn't we didn't I didn't get a trial. The, my attorney pleaded no contest. Did you have a court appointed attorney? Yes. And what county are you in? San Bernardino. Okay. Do you recall who was your judge? Um, judge Christopher Marshall. So you're in Department 5 in San Bernardino? Yes. Okay. There are a couple things that I would suggest that you do. Um, I'm not sure if your court-appointed attorney is going to do them, but these are two very important things you have to do, actually three. Number one, you have to file a 388 to try to get your child back and or more family reunification services offered to you so you can have more time to get the we, back. I did Hold file on. a 388 recently, and they denied it. Okay, so the judge denied it, and that means you should file an appeal immediately of that. File a notice of appeal, have your attorney help you with that, and then you should refile a new 388 based upon the reasons why Judge Marshall denied your denied this 388. Do you follow me? Yes. Do you follow what? Okay, because usually Judge Marshall, when he denies a 388, he tells you why he's denying it. Okay, so if you can fix because those things, you can refile. Hold on. When you fix those things, you can refile the 388 immediately. Let me give you the other two things that you should do. You should make a motion to have your child.
child or children placed with relatives by blood or marriage or by close or to close family friends. Okay, that can be done anytime during the case, and it should be if your children are placed in foster homes with uh, non-family members or people who are not close to your family. Um, so you should do that immediately, and that should be done, especially for your boy who's in a strange foster home. The next thing that you should do is you, you have to review with your attorney when the court um, terminated your family reunification services. You still may have time to file what's called a writ. It's really a fast appeal to the Court of Appeals to challenge that decision made by the judge. So those are the three things that you should do immediately um, regarding your case. Because time is short, okay. I can't go into more, more detail with you, but if you have a pen, I'll give you a telephone number you can call, and you can speak to me on maybe even tomorrow, Sunday, or on Monday, and I can talk more in detail with you. So let me know if you have a pen and a piece of paper. I'm ready. Telephone number is 888 6582. So 888 You can actually call that number today after 9, 930. And uh, one of my secretaries will be at the office and she can make that appointment for us to talk uh, either tomorrow or on Monday. Okay? Okay. Thank you. Thank you for calling. I appreciate the call and you sharing your story. Okay, thank you. You know, thank you. You know what, ma'am? You one question. Early on in the story, you told me that the doctor said that it wasn't the injuries weren't child abuse. So how did they keep the kids away from you? Because the C the CPS worker said she was going on her gut feeling and took them anyways. Okay, well, she's not allowed to do that. Exactly, and we were fighting that, and the uh, it's like the judge, Christopher Marshall, only wants to go off of whatever the CPS worker says. They don't even want to give us a chance. Okay, well, when we talk, we'll talk more about that, okay? Okay. Thank you very much for calling. Thank you. Okay, I'm getting really backed up in the queue, so we're going to take another call, area code 310, ending in 29. Good morning. Good morning. You're on with Attorney Vince Davis. Did you have a story to tell or a question to ask? I have both. Um I have a, the story is um, that my daughter was removed from her home based on an altercation between me and my ex that happened um, December uh, 20th, incidentally on her birthday in 2015. Um, he viciously assaulted me. He bit me, um, injured me, and um, I left the scene and made a police report later on. Even eventually, DCFS was. Um, contacted by the police department to tell them about the incident. I took my daughter into DCFS at that time. Unfortunately, she was 15 months. She was a baby. Um, and she, I talked to the social worker, Kristen Gonzalez, and she asked me about what happened. And I told her um, what the situation was. 
And eventually on February 18th, I got a letter in the mail saying that the case was terminated or the, I forgot, it's not considered a case at that point, but the incident or something like that is terminated um, on February 18th, 2016. About three days later, I get a phone call from Kristen Gonzalez on my cell phone, and she says that um, she has to interview me again. There was new information, and I had to bring my baby and my teenager um, into DCFS to talk to her, so I did that. She asked me about the altercation. I gave her the same information previously, and she said that the, a detective said that there was a video that showed that I assaulted my ex, who's six foot five, 300 and something pounds, but whatever. And so, um, and she said, so I wanted to hear the story again, and I told her the same story. She said, well, I figured you would say that. Fast forward March 2nd, she calls my cell phone while I'm at work, and she says, I have a warrant to take your daughter, and you have to either bring her in or we'll come to your house with the police and, um, you know, you probably don't really want that. I'm like, I don't care. Then I was like, you know what? I don't want that. Because, of course, I love my daughter and I want her traumatized. So um, I surrendered my daughter later on that afternoon to the DCFS office. And I said, what about my other daughter? She says, oh, well, I didn't think that basically they should take her. So I kind of, she gave me the impression she lobbied for my team not to be taken, you know, because I guess she was trying to show she was a good person. And so anyway, my daughter was removed from me. I went to a hearing um, on March 15th, more than 72 hours after my daughter was removed, even though that's illegal. Of course, I didn't know that. Unfortunately, I couldn't afford an attorney. I can't afford a private attorney. So I used the Los Angeles Dependency Attorneys, who are the court-appointed attorneys. Uh, They go by the acronym of LADL. And I was appointed, um, I can't say mean words, I guess, but Robin Lopez Lopez. and you know, he allowed DCFS and county council to trample on my rights. My daughter was removed from me. I thought I would get her back that day. I thought they would see this case for the farce that it was. They didn't. So um, I eventually went to trial in July. I had a trial by referee place at Edelman Court in L.A. County and found out in the midst of my trial, and I kept asking my attorney at this point because Ruben Lopez Lopez fired me as a client, sent me a letter with a motion to remove himself or whatever it's called, I was appointed Catherine Anderson, who's also a LATO attorney. And um, Clayf, um, who hurt my child, kept saying to her, why is he favoring county council? She says, oh, you can't say that. We don't know that. You know, that's not true. We don't have any proof of that. I was like, it's clear, obvious to me, at least. And I'm a lay person. And she basically dismisses my idea. And then toward the end of the trial, before he's going to rule, I guess, one way or another, she says, you're not going to believe this. She comes out to me in the lobby and says, this case is like, the like has the most twists and turns I've ever seen in a case. She says, uh, you know, referee Clay is taking a job with county council. So I don't know what we're going to do. I said, we're going to um, give me my baby back and basically terminate this case and tell him he has to recuse himself. Well, I don't know if he's going to do that. So basically he says he doesn't have to. They talked to judge Victor Greenberg. And this is what the reason why I'm pointing out people and names is because I think it's a collusion. It is collusion. But anyway, Victor Greenberg allegedly says, no, I don't, I agree. He doesn't have, um, you know, any conflict. Let him continue. And I'm like, absolutely not over my dead body. If you take me into that courtroom, I'm going to say no. And so eventually they say, okay, well, we're going to contact the ethics committee at the judicial council. They allege that they do. And then they come back and say, it's been determined that he's going to recuse himself. I'm like, basically no shit, Sherlock. And so he recuses himself. I go, well, I can get my baby back, right? I'm naively hopeful. 
Um, and she's like, no. So anyway, I don't get my baby back. I go to the second trial. I have Commissioner Steph Padilla. She has her own issues. Please Google her. I get in front of Steph Padilla. I go to trial. Um, in the middle of the trial, this detective um, is testifying. He testified that he told the social worker that he had a video, uh, which, well, the social worker put in her report that he said he had a video and that it was, I remember she told me the video was 20 minutes long and that she was going to have to assess the video and view the video to tell me how many allegations of abuse there would be. Because I had asked her at the day after she took my baby, when I went to visit my baby in their office, first thing I asked her when I took my baby is, where is she going? She was evasive. She never told me. And I was like, how could you do this to me? So the next day I went to, I said, I want to see my baby the next day. I saw my baby and she said, after the visit, I said, did you even, like, I'm like desperate. Did you even see the video? Well, I wasn't able to view the video. I said, you took my baby and you didn't even view a video that this man said that he had. And I told you there is, I, I said from day one, there is no video. There is no video. There couldn't, couldn't possibly be a video or, or there would be no video that showed me assaulting this person. So anyway, she says, no, but this is not my report. And she kept putting emphasis. This is not my report. This is the DCFS report. So she wanted to try, in my opinion, separate herself from her act as a DCFS employee. Anyway, when she wrote the report, she put in the report that the detective had said that there was a video. And I believe that that was the impetus for Judge Teresa Sullivan to sign a warrant where there was no issue after DCFS said the case was unfounded. Um, she went and she got the, the warrant or whatnot, and he's testifying and they, they're asking him about the video. And he basically says, I never said that. And they asked him, so County Counsel Lisa Samuelson, who's just a cold piece of work. She's like, well, did you, didn't you talk to a social worker or something like that? And he says, I don't recall. Now I'm going to assume in an LAPD officer's career, and this is LAPD detective Sean Horton, please Google and Twitter him because I've you know, had to disclose as much as I can. He says he never talked to a social worker, but in his entire career, I'm going to assume he's at least talked to one social worker. Because clearly at this point, I kept telling everybody, this man has a pattern. This is not the first time he did that. And I was, I, like the last caller was saying, was going on my gut. And I was like, no, this man has done this before. But anyway, he testified that he never said most of what the social worker said he said. Then they put the social worker on the stand and she says, I don't remember it the way that he recalls it. So her testimony, in my opinion, cancels out his testimony, yet they proceed and Padilla decides that my children have come under, well, my, well, yeah, both my children, even though my daughter, my teen was still at home with me, Padilla determined both of my kids came under the jurisdiction of the court. The allegations against me and my ex were both that we had the altercation. My daughter was taken from me and not that bastard. And bastard is the most loving term I can give. And that he, who at this point, I'm like, well, he does drugs. He smokes weed every, all day, every day. And they said, oh, silly me. Well, you knew that and you let her go. So now you're a bad parent because you knew he would smoke weed and you let her go. So you let him watch her when you weren't around and you knew he was a weed smoker. So now, you know, the allegation, but they filed an allegation against him for the use of drugs. But they said it was my fault that I allowed her to be with him because he used drugs. Then the third allegation was because, unfortunately, prior to the vicious assault in December, I had a miscarriage in November. 
And when and social workers interviewed me, and this is why you can't tell them shit because they spin everything. I had disclosed that I had been depressed because I had a miscarriage. I ended up providing that proof to my attorney via Kaiser documentation. Anyway, that was a third allegation. They said I was emotionally unstable or some. Basically, oh, here's the funny thing. Before Pidia has trial, they offer me what I consider is a deal, they say. If you, if you allow DCFS, Catherine Anderson brought this to me, if you allow DCFS to amend the allegation one to say that he, my ex, only bit me in self-defense, then they would dismiss the emotional abuse charge against me and then drop the drug charge against him. First of all, dropping a drug car case against him doesn't help me, and I don't care about him. I want to see him fry. So I said, absolutely not. And she said, why are you being so difficult? All they want to do is change language, and I don't know why they want to do that. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who started the fight or why the fight started. There was a fight. You both were involved, and basically you both were, like, culpable, I guess is the best word I can find. And I don't know why they're so stuck on that. And I said, no. So she came back. She started begging again, and I said, well, wait a minute. If I say yes, does my baby go home today? Because the only thing I care about is my baby. Screw what they're doing. She says, oh, that's later. I said, well, then, oh, no, absolutely not. And so then I tell them, no, I'm not taking a deal. My point in saying something about this offer or whatever they wanted to think to mitigate was that, one, if you didn't think I was mentally abusive and the drug issue wasn't a big deal, and all you need me to do now is say that I assaulted him, you knew from day one this was some bullshit. Excuse my language. You knew that this was not a good case. But because I started writing letters to the Attorney General, Kamala Harris, all my state, my local representatives, Mark Ridley Thomas, who's useless, useless and never responded, and I hate him with a passion. I will never vote for him or Maxine Waters again. I started writing letters to anybody and everybody I could because, unfortunately, Mr. Davis, I can't afford you. And by the time I started looking for you, I I was in deep shit, and I knew I still couldn't afford you. And so when I did start looking for attorneys, I couldn't afford any private attorneys. So I had to do the best I can with what I had. And so I naively thought that, well, God, somebody is going to want to help me. So I sent letters to everybody. And I said, somebody's going to see, excuse me, that this mother wants help. And they're going to jump in and help me. Absolutely didn't happen. There's one man that's been helping me. But anyway, and so um, I went forward with that trial. Padilla sustained petition one, the fight between the two of us. She wrote a case plan that said that we both had to do counseling, individual counseling. They specified I had to have a licensed counselor because I had been going to see my pastor and they wanted to disqualify my pastor who was willing to testify on my behalf, but my later attorney never called him as a, you know, as a witness. Um, and so they, that was part of our, both of our conditions. He never complied. I had been going. I started going to a license, still went to Kaiser. Then um, he was supposed to have drug testing. As far as I know, he did one or two, but I had told them, I was like, he knows how to beat a drug test because that's how he got his job. He had now, he'll just bring urine. You guys are stupid. But, you know, they didn't care. And um, then we were supposed to both go to um, domestic violence classes. They alleged he was going as a as a victim, and I was had to go as a batterer. I have since completed those classes. 
And um, there was another condition I can't remember. But anyway, so I did all my conditions. We still going to court because I'm still fighting what they called, I guess, the disposition of where she's going to live because I want her to come back home. In the meantime, I'm getting screwed out of visits. My visits keep changing. DCFS said I can only see my have my visits in their office. In March of 2016, I had given a list of 10 friends and family members that I was going to use as monitors because I didn't want to overburden any one person. They didn't approve monitors until February of 16, and they only picked a girlfriend of mine who is a um, L.A. County probation officer because I was like, well, at least she's a probation officer. What is she going to do? And it kind of was like, okay, well, we'll, we'll, we'll approve her. But I had an attorney on the list. I had reputable people, but they just wouldn't clear them. And they never told me one way or another if these people were cleared or not. So I had a few visits at 77 Police Department in the lobby because they would not accommodate space. I eventually had them at Hawthorne Police Department. And just the visits were drama. So in the end, I had to go for my final hearing in April. I am told in March that Padilla has recused herself. She doesn't want to finalize my case, I suspect. And I am told she gave no reason. And I'm going to assume that that's not true. But that's what I was told. And so in March, I had Judge Manetris. I go in for my final disposition. And I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to force these people either to give me my baby back, or they're going to have to take her. And then they're going to have to, you know, deal with the consequences of this illegal act, as far as I'm concerned. Manetra's that day, they make me wait forever. And anybody who's been to Edelman knows they do this on purpose to try to, you know, to, to just try to beat you down. And I'm waiting and I'm waiting. And they, and so Kathy Anderson, my attorney, is like, I'm like, you know what? I'm here. He's not my ex. And, and during the trial, he would be late. They would stall. Whenever I was late, Lisa Samuelson would race in there and get it on the court record. Anything she thought I did, she put on the court record. Anything he did, uh, oh, and here's the other thing. I'm sorry because so much has happened. In July of 2016, my ex was arrested. He followed. He had followed me from court different days, and they would let him leave 30 minutes early because allegedly he was the victim. So they would always let him leave 30 minutes early, which I didn't really realize. Kathy would always make me wait to, like, talk to me. But they were giving him a head start to leave. And so one day he's behind me and I happen to be in a car with a friend and my adult daughter. We're on the freeway. He's following me. The freeway bottlenecks. And I think, oh, my God, this is an act of God. I've thought that several times. Clearly not so. And I flagged down a CHP officer. The officer, I have my restraining order in the car. I'm like, my ex is following me. He just followed me from court. He's not supposed to be behind me. They arrest him and take him to jail in the middle of the trial. When we were in the trial with Clay. When it when he didn't show up that day, they postponed court till about three o'clock that afternoon because they kept waiting for him to show up. At eleven o'clock, my attorney Kathy Anderson said, "Why didn't you tell me you had him arrested?" I said, "I didn't have him arrested. I don't have the power to arrest. He was stalking me. He was arrested for violating the restraining order that's against him, so that he can't come near me." And she's like, "Well, now I don't know what's going to happen. When we go into court that three o'clock in the afternoon, oh, she says, well, he says he's going to bail out. I'm like, well, good, whatever. We go into court at three o'clock. He's not there. And Clay, Clay basically says we can't proceed for some reason. And I jump in because I'm going to suggest to any parent who's listening, jump in on the hearings and say what you need to say just to get it on the record because they're not trying to help you anyway. I jumped in and said, excuse me, why are we pretending we're postponing this because we, we don't have time? We're postponing this because he got arrested for stalking me. Clay says, we don't know that. 
I said, well, you have a debt. And I said, well, look it up. He's in jail. We can't do that. You have a deputy here over the sheriff's department. They run the jails. Make the deputy do it. And he basically hems and haws, tells me to be quiet and moves on. And then they postpone it to the next day where he'll be bailed out and he can come. Anyway, I'm sorry. I was on the side. So now I'm in front of Manetris in April of 2017, this past year. Manetris plays games on my hearing date, and he says they have to postpone it. I'm not really sure. I can't remember what the explanation was, but I do know on that day I found out that my daughter's attorney, who's been ineffective, Joseph Barrow, who did absolutely nothing to help my daughter, he files a motion to terminate my, I wrote it down, developmental rights. I did not know there was a such thing. And to terminate my educational rights. So I'm thinking, they're about to give me my baby. So they're trying to limit my rights because they know they have to give my baby back. So now they're just trying to strong arm me in the process. Well, the next day or two days later, whenever we have to now then come back, Manetris um, basically takes my daughter from me. At that point, I hadn't seen my daughter in like six or seven months. Today, I haven't seen my daughter in 15 months. Um, so I don't know actually if she's alive or well or anything in between. In, a ca- in, in the course of the case, she was diagnosed by the regional center with developmental delays because during visitation, I noticed that she didn't speak. She had been learning words when she had been home, but my baby had come short of catatonic and didn't, she interacted, but she didn't speak and there was something going on. When I kept pressing, eventually Padilla allowed her to have an evaluation. DCFS never gave me the records. Somehow they serendipitously showed up at my door and the record said she was developmentally delayed um, and that she was supposed to have speech therapy. She was supposed to be in um, some kind of schooling setting to help her um, with therapeutic services. And every time I said, where's my baby services? Where's my baby services? Nobody told me. They kept, my attorney, Catherine Anderson, said, well, how do you know that? I said, I know. She says, well, can you give me a copy of what you have? I said, absolutely not. Joseph Barrow should have a copy. If he cares about my daughter, he will subpoena one. So she sends me an email, which I have, that eventually some months later, it says, oh, he's going to subpoena the records. My own attorney used to tell me stuff, I believe, to make, to placate me and convince me things were being done that she even knew weren't getting done. So he never got it because she never got it. And it was never in the record or the file. They never got the same record that I got from regional that says my daughter was developmentally delayed. Anyway, the long and short of it is Steve Manetra took my baby, allowed her to stay with my ex, um, terminated my educational and developmental rights, um, and said that it didn't matter because the issue I raised was that, well, before we went into court, Catherine Anderson says, do you want to close the case or do you want to contest it or something to that effect? And I was like, no, they're not going to close the case because they never helped my baby. So I want DCFS on the hook for as long as possible because they have been damaging my child. And if they want to keep this shit, keep this going, then we're going to keep this going, but we're going to keep it going on the record. She said, or we can just close the case, you know, and you could just let him have the baby. And then you could just go to family court and just get her back. Like, just go to family court. That's who gave you full, I have full legal and physical custody of my daughter when all of this started by um, Torrance Court. But she's, and then you just go back to Torrance. Like, it was just that easy. So I contacted an attorney I know, and that attorney was like, absolutely not. It's going to take you at least six months, and it's not going to happen that way. And I thought, this bitch is playing, this, she's playing games. So anyway, Manetra um, gave my baby to him. And in the midst of it, I said, oh, she, my attorney had asked before we went in there, do you have proof of like all the things you've done, which I had been giving her over the time, but the last progress report, I told her, 
I'll show you mine when you show me his, because I knew my ex hadn't been doing anything because I know him. And so she's like, why are you worried about him? That doesn't matter. It does matter because we were both supposed to comply. He hasn't been complying and he has my baby. So I'm trying to understand why he still has my baby if he doesn't comply with any court orders or case plans. So when we go in there, Manetris is in the midst of screwing me over. So I'm like, you know what? Screw this. You know what? I don't understand how you guys are going to do this to my daughter after all that this man has not done. I've complied with everything. He's done nothing. And Manetra's like, we don't have proof. Okay, well, here it is. I summon my daughter in the back of the court, tell her to give the documents to the deputies, because there's three deputies in my courtroom, because there's two that stand, one in front of me, one in, in behind me, and then there's one at the other side of the door. This is all the time through 2017. Every time I went to court, they made three deputies show up. I don't know why, but they wanted to act like I was a pain in the ass because I would voice my opinion. And so I gave it to my deputies, gave it to my attorney, and, she, and he says, well, what does she want to do with that? He's like, are you just telling the court or do you want to file? I'm like, lodge it, lodge it with the court. So Catherine Anderson says, lodge it with the court. Of course, that's a no-court document, though I think there's a recording of that hearing. There, she didn't log it with the court, and so as far as they're concerned, when he wrote his final order, the copy that I have says that the reason why he didn't give me my daughter, well, one of the reasons I'm sure that he didn't get my daughter was because I had failed to comply with the case plan. However, on the record, he said that the, whether or not DCFS allowed, supported me or made me comply with the case plan or him was a moot point. It didn't matter. It didn't matter whether or not the father had, you know, basically obeyed by the case plan. That's not the issue. The issue is do, should we close the case? And basically, I feel like this case should be closed because it's a waste of time. It's basically what he's telling me. And he closed my case. The other thing I need to mention is that Padilla, in the midst of all of this, she, I filed contempt on my own because I didn't have an attorney. I had to go online, find everything I knew. I filed contempt against DCFS. So I did a pleading for contempt, but I also filed a 388. Um, a couple of my three, I've filed at least four 388s. She shut them all down. But the contempt form, I recently found out when I viewed my file, and that was drama. But when I finally got to view my file, she had signed, she had given a hearing date for my contempt against DCFS for not doing any of the things I had asked. Well, not any of the things that they had been ordered to do and that I had noticed they had not done. And she set a hearing date. Then she signed the order. Then someone whited it out. And I was like, why is there whiteout in my file? Which made me more curious. I held it up to the light. You can see the hearing date. You can see, well, you can even see her signature off the top because they didn't cover it completely and her signature. So they basically made the hearing disappear. So I believe at some point she held DCFS in contempt on December 19th. And then sometime later, I'm going to assume Michael Levanis or Judge Greenberg told her, we hate her. She keeps sending us all these letters. You know what? Don't find them in contempt. Screw her over some more. And let her figure this shit out later. And after April, they took my baby. I tried to go to Torrance Court to get um, custody because I don't want visitation. I want my daughter back home. And I was unsuccessful because, again, couldn't afford an attorney. And here I am. I haven't seen my baby in 15 months. And I don't know what to do. Oh, I'm also being prosecuted a second time. Um, during the first trial, I was being prosecuted for assaulting my ex, even though we both had a fight where he viciously bit me. A criminal case was filed against me for assault, for spousal abuse, I'm sorry. Um, I went to trial in um, July of 17, and um, or 
17. I ended up finishing that trial trial of July of this year. And um, the judge sentenced me to 10 days community service because he saw that this was a bunch of bullshit and that my ex was twice my size and full of shit. And so um, I wasn't convicted of spousal abuse. I was convicted of um, battery, unfortunately. Um, But, you know, I didn't want to lose my job. So I thought 10 days community service, that was the best thing that could happen in this kind of situation. And so now I find out this past um, this this past December, I am now being prosecuted um, under Penal Code 653M for annoying social workers and using foul language, which you also heard me use on this call because I use foul language in the ordinary course of my life. And so I will be going to court um, in January 24th, um, and I'm going to be telling them I'm going to be representing myself because I, I haven't found an attorney yet and still haven't seen my baby. So I don't know what, if anything, you can help me with at this point. I just feel like I'm so screwed. I would like to sue DCFS, definitely sue LAPD. LAPD has been beating down my door about my complaints about their detective who, you know, incidentally sued them recently, probably because they suspended him for what he did to me. And I just am in this nightmare. um, And I don't know if anyone's going to I don't know what what can happen to bring my baby home because you can't undo the damage that's been done. I've, I've made my peace with that. Um, but my daughter needs to come home and to be quite honest, DCFS and LAPD need to be held liable and culpable for the insurmountable damage that has been done not only to my infant daughter, but to my two other children and my son. So any pearls of wisdom would be appreciated. Hello? Did I lose you? Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Hello? Oh, yes, I can hear you now. Yes. Okay. During this entire process, was your older daughter ever taken from you? She was not. So I'm one of the... Her her father refused to cooperate. But one of the things I don't understand is why did they let you keep one child but not the other? That was my argument, and then I stopped arguing that because I was afraid they would eventually try to take her, too. They did go to her school and interview her. Did you ever appeal any of the decisions made by any of the judges on your case? Yes, I appealed. Well, you know, I would love to appeal more, but I, I know that there was an appeal after Padilla's decision. And then there's been a pedi- I mean, uh, an appeal after Manetra's decision. So there's two appeals that are currently going through the appeal process. Oh, I see. So the Court of Appeals has not made a decision on those cases? On those they appeals. have not, no. No, they have not. Okay. All right. Um, I, well, I would definitely be interested in finding out what they decide. My last comment is this. Um, thought about writing a book about your experience? I've talked to several people who told me I have to document what's going on. Um, I've tried and I've gotten some pages under my belt and it's not necessarily initially for a book. It was because people have told me you're all over the place. 
And so you have to try to kind of make it cohesive and, you know, I guess under in a narrative that people can understand. But even in the time I've told you all of this, there's a thousand more, a thousand other facts. It's hard. It's, it's emotionally difficult because when I read it, when I'm writing it and I go through all the emails, thank God I've written thousands of emails. I have to relive a lot of these things that I've forgotten. And so it's been a challenge to do. Um, this past Christmas vacation from work, I was like, oh, I'm going to work on it. And I couldn't. Um, Christmas just had me paralyzed. I didn't know that Christmas was going to affect me in the way that it did. My children and I, I don't decorate for the holidays. I used to decorate my house on Halloween, Christmas, everything. This this last year, I didn't. The year before, I was hopeful. So I was decorating because I'm like, when my baby comes home, I sounded like a crazy person. Oh, when my baby comes home, things will be in place. And this past year, I kind of was like, the likelihood of her coming home is slipping away from me. So I don't do that. But anyway, um, it's it's hard to do the writing, but I know it's going to be necessary. And so, you know. It, it, it's a process, they say. You know, let me make a suggestion to you. Instead of writing it or typing it out, you should get one of those free apps on the uh, your smartphone and just dictate your story to yourself and then have it um, transcribed. Um, oh, that's good. I think because, because I think that you might, it might be easier for you. We've We've talked a lot on this phone call, and you seem to be able to express yourself verbally. So you can, you know, um, when I've written books, I, I actually dictate them, and I give them to give it to someone to transcribe and to edit, and then you mm-hmm. know, out comes the book. But it would be okay. hard for me to sit down with a typewriter and try to write it. Extra thing you got to do, and um, yeah. so I would suggest that to you. I have heard, and I, I'm not you. a therapist, but I have heard that it could be a very, you know, um, therapeutic process cathartic. writing out the story. <laughs> yeah. yeah, cathartic, exactly. Um, but I'm not a therapist, but I've heard that. But, I, you know, I would suggest that you um, try to write this out or talk this out, transcribe it into a book. Um, and, you know, I would even help you try to get it uh, published. And um, because Oh, I, that would be know, great. I think, you know, there are a lot of things that you said that I agree with. There are a lot of, there are some things that you said that I don't agree with, but I think your story needs to get out there because it's your story. It's not my story. It's not anybody else's story. And I think that it would help people that are, um, uh, that become involved in this uh, juvenile system. Uh, And it it might give them some insight uh, as to what can happen or what does happen, you know, in our juvenile Mm -hmm. system. But anyway, I want to thank you for your call. I'm running out of time, and uh, thank you. But please listen in and uh, next week, and please. What happens? With okay, your thank you people. very much. Thank you. I will. Um, I'm running out of time. I can't take another call, and I want to thank all of you who have called in and have patiently waited to try to get on the call this morning. I would uh, humbly invite you back next week uh, at 8 a.m to uh, share your story or ask a question and be better at, uh, you know, uh, holding these stories to a certain length. Um, But her story is kind of fascinating to me. Um, Anyway, we're going to sign off now.
I'll see you next week on the radio. Please call in with your stories and with your uh, questions for me. Goodbye.